Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 78. So it's the third week of January. How are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? If you're holding strong, amazing. And if you're having a little bit of trouble, don't worry, I've got you. Hello, my beautiful friends. So glad to be back with you again this week. And to my new listeners, welcome to the Healing Catalyst podcast, where we talk about Ayurveda, integrated healing, and integrative medicine to help you on your healing journey. I'm Avanti, and I'm so happy to be here with you. So today, let's dive into New Year's resolutions, because most of us fall into one of three groups. Number one, those who are still going strong. Number two, those who are struggling a little with sticking to our resolutions. Or number three, those of us who have already given up entirely on those resolutions. And then, of course, there's a whole group of us who decided, well, I'm not going to send any resolutions this year. And honestly, no matter which group you fall into, I think this episode will be enlightening and helpful and give you a new perspective. Today, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Mar Soraparu, as we continue our exploration of our January intention of refresh and renew to discuss how to reframe resolutions into a really powerful way for yourself. Mar is a co-founder and the chief wellness officer of Beyond, a private health and wellness club here in Chicago that blends Western and Eastern healing approaches to create a unique ecosystem for well-being. Mar is an executive life coach, yoga instructor, and holistic wellness consultant who made a bold career shift from the finance industry to follow her deeply rooted passion for holistic health and well-being. As the chief wellness officer at Beyond, she leads their diverse team of wellness professionals to conceptualize and develop a dynamic program and wellness strategy, while also working with individual clients through executive coaching and corporate wellness programs. In our conversation, Mar and I discuss the science of habits and neuroadaptation and the difference between cravings and addiction. Mar also dives into how resolutions and intentions are different, how they have a different energy, which makes a really big difference in how you feel about them. Mar also shares suggestions on how to create habits that really stick. And we talk about the idea of treating yourself as sacred and why this can be profound and powerful. As I mentioned, Mar and I are colleagues at Beyond, and we have had so many deeply meaningful talks. I loved having this conversation with Mar here for the podcast, and I'm so happy to share it with all of you to help you reframe New Year's resolutions in a powerful way to refresh and renew. Well, hello, Mar. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm super excited to talk to you because we work together at Beyond and we have such great conversations all the time. So I'm excited to actually have one that's recorded so that other people can kind of listen in to everything that we talk about. <laughs> it's official. I love it. Thank you for having yeah. me. 
Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. So we are in January and it's the new year and both of us being in wellness and health, we sort of know what happens with so many of our clients and students and patients. It's all about resolutions and habits and people get really stressed out. And I thought it might be really helpful for the two of us to have a conversation to give the listeners a little bit of a different perspective and maybe some things to think about as they're setting their intentions, their goals, whatever they want to call it for this Mm -hmm. new year to really set themselves up for a successful year when it comes to their health and their wellness. So that's kind of you know, I think what we're, we're going to talk about, but I think a really good place to start would really be for you to tell us a little bit about your story. You know, you are the chief wellness officer and one of the partners at Beyond, the wellness club that I work and consult at right now as the director of Ayurveda, but you have a really interesting background. So tell us a little bit about your health journey and then how it dovetailed into Beyond and being a life coach. I would love to hear your story. Absolutely. It's a funny story, I I feel like, but one that is shared amongst a lot of people. Um, My background is not linear. It has been all over the place. And I think that is part of what resulted in my work being as powerful as it can be because it's relatable to a lot of people's lives, I guess, to back up. So wellness was a little bit a part of my upbringing, but it wasn't, you know, we're talking about late 80s, early 90s, and it wasn't entirely top of mind, but my mother and my father had you know, health tendencies. So I always had um, a, a decent idea about how to be healthy. I was an athlete. Um, I used to swim. I used to uh, run. So I always had an active background. And then I moved into dancing and more creative world. Um, so I had a pretty active life growing up. And then I went to college I went to UCLA, studied sociology, was kind of delving into maybe some you know production in Hollywood and um, maybe newscasting. And what I loved the most really was learning about people and then having that creative side to me. I was trying to piece it together, fell into finance out of need for wanting to stay in California and wasn't ready to move back to Chicago. And that's when I found yoga. Yoga was, I remember my first class, I walked into the Equinox in Santa Monica. I I remember the community, seeing them there. It was a transformative moment walking into the room. It was dark. People were there just together. I believe it was like the first month that I started at um, in my financial career. And after that first class, I knew immediately that this was something that was going to get me through just learning how to be an adult and getting into the workforce. And it carried me through. I moved back to Chicago and I found an instructor who is still a good friend of mine who had this really unique way. I also was a dancer growing up um, and she kind of had this dance-like element to her yoga teaching that also mixed music. I was a singer. So music and movement and all of it together, I noticed how transformative it was, especially with stress. Stress hit a point, and it was early for me to recognize it. And I've always been entrepreneurial, a very motivated person. I've worked my whole life, um, starting at my dad's businesses in the basement of our homes growing up. So I've always loved working. So I felt that I could maybe think about how to bring this and translate it into more corporate environments. And this is back when it still was 
not entirely accepted or understood. So started thinking about that, moved into the world of wellness, really took a huge leap and it took a lot of support for me to do that. Um, but I took a bunch of different jobs, essentially. I believe I had five different streams of income in order to try doing yoga and getting into that space. And the life coaching came in because my now husband, who it was my boyfriend at the time, was on a flight sharing my story with somebody sitting next to him on a United flight going out to, I think they were going to New York. And she was a life coach. And she kind of offered him, you know, kind of why it would be important for me in the stage I was in to go through something like that. So he gifted it to me, which to me is like the most amazing gift you could possibly get. I remember his family looking at me like he got you life coaching for Christmas. And I was <laughs> like, this is amazing. Uh-huh. I couldn't think of anything better. And right when I started going through the process, I saw how important it was and how it was really the glue for me to do what I was really doing for me to really understand who I was and how that all worked together. And it all was foundationally rooted in mindset, how you're thinking, how you take stimuli in what you do in response, how it all comes together. And I found it so powerful that I fully immersed myself in the practice. I went through their training and then, you know, typical me starts going everywhere and doing all the different trainings to figure out all the ways that it is translated. And it's like a, it's like a dialect and there's so many different areas. So I put all of it together and then I started doing it myself for my own clients, for never for family. You never coach your family. You never coach your partner either. Um, (laughs) So I learned that one. But um, it really just kind of fed off of each little thing just really multiplied. And it was a really interesting way to see my future unfold. And so, you know, those five streams of income, things just kind of started to peel off as other things started to grow. And that's where I've really, that's the birth of where I'm at now. And having that background in finance and corporate culture and that corporate people and my background from childhood, growing up with my dad's businesses in our house, knowing that environment, knowing the stressors, it was all really a language that I understood how to bring to this sort of community and, and, and beyond. So, um, but beyond fell in right as my career was really wonderful. I was coaching, I was teaching yoga, I had private clients, I was going all over the place, having so much fun. And one of my clients was Kevin Bame. And right before we were talking about something and I had said, you know, Soho House Wellness, like that would be amazing. It would be a big place. And he was like, you know, this is something that we're talking about doing. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We've had like a very similar thought. And he said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And you want to do it with me. And he set me up with Joe, our CEO, who is his longtime friend. Him and I met, we spoke for what was, what was supposed to be 45 minutes to an hour. I think we were there for three and a half to four. And then I met Robbie and then it just started. And that was the birth of it. So right place, right time, right people, 
very organic yeah. for me. And right skill set. It sounds like you sort of had done all of these things where you were doing yoga training and getting into health and wellness. Plus you were an athlete already adding the life coaching. It's sort of like you had this amazing skill set that you could bring to the table for this larger concept of a wellness club, right? Entirely. And it's, I always looked at it as there was never a one size fits all to anything. And I saw that quickly in yoga. I saw that quickly with coaching and then putting that into practice in a, in a bigger, on a bigger stage. That's where I think I really started to shine and started to add a lot of value is it's really about the person and how, what they're able to receive, what they're able to kind of put into their own words and then put it into action into their own life. Um, it's been a lot of fun, but I do have to thank my mother. She has always been one of the most intuitive, kind people that she actually was going to be a nun and she decided not to be, but I feel that I get something from her that is a unexplained ability to do the work that I do that people have asked before, even with yoga is how, how do you do, how do you think about that? How do you create that? How did you do that? And I don't know sometimes, and I credit it to her. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so I want to click into a couple of things that you said, which are really interesting because it's interesting that you went into life coaching because I do perceive you just from knowing you for the past year and a half or so, but also from your drive, from your story as being an athlete. And I know that you have done lots of races and competitions and all kinds of things. And that, that takes a certain type of person, right? And so, you know, we're talking about goals and resolutions and sort of habits to do that kind of training as an athlete to then be in the financial world to then help start your own business right before you went to beyond and now another business that takes a lot of discipline it takes a lot of being able to follow through on things that you set out to do sort of these ideas of goals of habits and things like that and so i think that that's really something important to talk about because I do think there are certain personality types where, you know, people like you and me who have chosen these careers that are very high paced, that involve a lot of goal setting, people tend to think that we have it all together, which is so far from the truth, because we all struggle with so many of the same issues that are part of the way humans are wired when it comes to doing things that we think that we know are good for ourselves, right? And I, I, I imagine that part of your life coaching training was tapping into learning how to deal with that psychology or sort of the way humans are wired. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I don't know how I got to there, but it's an interesting thing to talk about. The root of it. Yeah. Behavior, it's how we think our brains are still set up in a way that is primal. And it's always looking for the threat. And so little things that definitely are not threats, we perceive them as threats and then it becomes the bear that's chasing after us and so forth. And we have that unique ability in the power of our brain that's usually just not tapped into at all to the potential that it has. It comes down to meaning making. Like, what is it that this action means for me? It's finding that, closing that gap between stimulus and response. You know, that candy bar looks great. What do I actually want to be and how do I want to feel? 
and finding that middle ground. But it's it's easier said than done. Um, so when it does come down to, you know, brain and you know, hacking into that system, I've always found it to be what is the where is the importance for that person to be willing to make that change and to hijack that primal instinctual response. And I work a lot in that, you know, developing a mission, having that anchor, and then always putting it through the lens or the the language of the person at hand, myself included, what is it that I'm doing this for? And keeping that top of mind um, is one of those ways. Yeah. And so I think what I was getting at also is that, you know, so many of us who are wired in this way to always be going for the next goal, for the next improvement, you know, we have a lot of people at Beyond and, and the people that we both coach and, and help and people who are students with us, they're very highly motivated. Yet it's really interesting because some of these habits that they know are good for them, it's really hard to sometimes to stick to those and to really move forward in that. And so I think what I'm getting at is that even for me and you, you know, we've coached each other. It's so important to have someone to coach you. And I think what I'm thinking about is that I feel like coaching is one of these ways to sort of hack into your brain and help it calm down. And I'll get to that in a minute of what I mean is that, you know, I often have said that there's this science of habits, and we know that this is true, that habits is more about biochemistry and learning how to shift your biochemistry in your brain than actually willpower. And that's where I think we go so wrong in Western culture is we are always talking about, well, you just got to have the will. You just got to do it. You just, it doesn't work that way, right? I mean, Nike's tagline is great, just do it, but it's really not that easy. And I think it leads to so much guilt and shame and frustration for people when they are trying to get to a goal, especially when it's related to health and wellness, right? Because it's so easy to put that to the side and do everything else that you have to do in life, right? And so I do think we should talk about that before we get into, you know, resolutions and, and intentions and things like that, is this idea of, you know, your brain biochemistry. Because here's something that's interesting. I've read, I did a little research, is that, you know, January 17th is actually called New Year resolutions ditch day, because there's been so many, there have been studies that show that by January 17th, a large percentage of the population who makes a resolution for the new year will already have abandoned it. In fact, there's a study by the University of Scranton that was a pretty rigorous study about New Year's resolutions. And it shows that New Year's resolutions stick around for about 77% of people through a full week. So we are right now, as we're recording this in the first week of January, we're in that time period. By the time everyone hears this episode, basically only half of the people who made resolutions will actually still be with those. And furthermore, that study showed that by June, only 40% of the people who made a resolution will actually be able to stick with their goal. And I even think that that's a high number to tell you the truth. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, everybody is so well-intentioned. We know that these things are good for us, right? But it's really hard. And it's not about willpower. It's about your brain biochemistry. And if you'll just indulge me, let me just explain this to the listeners so that they understand what we're talking about. 
neuroadaptation is really your brain's ability to adapt to whatever you're doing, right? And this can be either health supporting or health weakening, as I talk about on this podcast. And the thing is, is that your brain can't tell the difference. All it knows is that you do something, you eat something, you drink something, you engage in a behavior, you have a little dopamine surge. Now, the dopamine surge is going to be little or big depending on what the stress or the stressor is and how the brain perceives it. So whether it's talking to a friend, that can give you a little bit of a dopamine surge. Eating you know, a piece of candy, a little dopamine surge. Then maybe drinking, you know, three glasses of wine gives you a little bit of a higher dopamine surge and on and on it goes. You can, you know, imagine what that is. The thing is, is your brain doesn't read it as a good thing or a bad thing. It just reads it as a stressor and it's modulating the amount of dopamine, which is a feel good neurochemical. A little bit is always good for us, right? But when it starts to go up and down, high hits, big hits of dopamine, our brain will start to say, uh-oh, something's going on. I need to maintain balance. I need to maintain allostasis, which is balance under stress. So let me do something to protect myself. It starts to downregulate the dopamine receptors in the brain. So now you've got a blunted response. And so this is where we start having tolerance, right? So the same number of drinks, three drinks, doesn't give you the same dopamine surge because your brain has adapted. This is over time, of course, right? The same candy bar doesn't give you the same dopamine surge. So now you need more. You need four candy bars. You need, and I'm being, I'm exaggerating to make the point. And so you need more, more, more to get the same response. That's tolerance. Now, here's where the interesting thing is, right? Is that you know that you should, you know, stop a behavior, decrease a behavior, but it's not willpower, it's brain biochemistry. Because withdrawal, when you're not getting those big dopamine surges, right, you're in withdrawal. It causes pain, physical pain, whether it's alcohol withdrawal or, you know, drug withdrawal or sugar withdrawal or gambling withdrawal or shopping withdrawal. It's all being read by the brain as I'm not getting the same hits. I need more, more, more Then they downregulate. It's like this crazy feedback loop that you get into. And so it's really about shifting your brain biochemistry and really this idea of slowly replacing these dopamine surge habits with dopamine regulating habits and dealing with what we say is our cravings. Basically, that's that more, more, more. That's a craving because we want to feel good. We don't want to feel bad. We don't want to have physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain. And so really this idea of creating habits that then are all about how you, you know, get into resolutions, it's about calming your brain, calming that brain biochemistry to say that you're safe. And I think that so much of life coaching, of the things that we do, whether we're, you know, a personal trainer, a therapist, a coach, what we're doing is we're giving people tools to help calm that brain biochemistry so that they can go forward with what they've intended. So that was a really long-winded explanation, but I think it's important for people to understand. You know, It's incredibly important. And it really comes to redefining a relationship with being uncomfortable or discomfort or, you know, 
we live in this culture of not wanting to feel badly. And there's also this badge of honor that a lot of people want to have that you are supposed to feel good all of the time. And one of the interesting things is if we felt good all of the time, we wouldn't be having the human experience deeply. So part of the human experience is being able to ride those waves. And then it's what you do with those waves. So these dopamine hits that you're talking about, yes, the triggers or the cravings, I usually use the term triggers because I look at it as these incoming opportunities. So that's a reframe that I use often with mindset is you can see the incoming trigger. It's your incoming opportunity to transform your relationship with that trigger transform your response. And it might require you to feel, quote unquote, badly or not, you know, having that uplift, you know, not having that third espresso shot when you're trying to cut down on coffee or only having that one glass of wine. But the funny thing is that it's actually less pain than continuously giving into the cue or the trigger or the craving, which is actually long lasting pain. And it just replicates and becomes deeper. Like you shared, it's three glasses of, or three candy bars, and then you need four, and then you need five or wine or whatever it is. Um, we have to transform and the relationship with our feelings and emotions and that it is okay to feel, yes, that would be nice to have another glass of wine, but I know how I will feel tomorrow. I know what that translates to, connecting to the future self and making that decision making in the moment. Now, regulating and balancing meditation is one of the biggest things. So, for a lot of people and I hear this all the time is meditation is too hard cuz I because I can't shut my brain off. And I say the same thing. I say, "Please don't shut your brain off because right, that means you're not alive then. <laughs> you're not alive, you're not here." Right. Um, but rather, what do you do with those fluctuations? How do you apply meaning to them? Those thoughts that are coming in do not have to go into your to-do list. It came in of what you have to do, set it to the side for a moment, continue on the path of just essentially regulating the entire nervous system so that you can make these decisions. So any sort of meditation practice, which could be walking meditation, moving meditation in a you know, gentle yoga class, all are ways to get people there. Um, as you know, and breathing exercises, all things that we use to allow for people to then be able to pull out these tools, become adaptive and with their neurological states, and then hijack those moments of triggers and cravings. And that's when the world opens up. And that was the biggest thing for me was this makes a ton of sense. And you do see results rather quickly. But then it's about maintaining it, right? Right, right. And so what you're talking about is some pattern interruption, mm -hmm. right? In sort of stopping that loop from happening and slowing it down a little bit. So you have that time to become aware, to understand what am I feeling right now? How is it going to make me feel five minutes from now, 10 minutes from now, 24 hours from now? And, you know, tapping into that. Okay, so before we get into the ways that we can sort of shift our biochemistry, calm our minds, you know, interrupt these patterns really to help create new habits for wellness and health, right? Let's go back to something because we actually talked about this when we were preparing for this, um, this interview was this idea of resolutions, intentions, 
you know, goal setting, you know, these words are used so interchangeably. And we were having a whole discussion about how they're not actually interchangeable. They're actually different things. So let's talk a little bit about that because I thought that was really insightful and very helpful. So how do you see these different, Mark? So resolutions, right? They're these new mm-hmm. promises of doing new things, adopting the new behavior, um, going to the gym, fostering relationships better. First off, they're typically vague. Um, they're also just ginormous and overarching. There's not a, uh, a lot of attachment to it. It's not a lot of stickiness. It's just this big, broad thing. Have goals. Let's go to goals next. Goals are a little more specific. So I want to lose 15 pounds this year. I want to gain two more friends, long lasting friends, bigger targets that are still, you know, they're somewhat resolution based, but they're more specific. But what we're missing still is the path to get there. And that's where habits come in because that's the how you're going to get to those goals to kind of hit those resolutions. But all, you know, all together, one of the funny things I read actually this morning in the Wall Street Journal, it talked about rather than adopting, it's what do we need to release? What do we need to stop doing? So there's that element of what is actually getting in the way of us living this lifestyle that we're craving. And then there's habit or um, goal competition. There's too much that we're asking of ourselves and we need to simplify. So I think people become flooded with all of that sort of information. I believe it requires much more of a thoughtful, reflective process at first. And then it's detailed. It's first off, why am I doing this? What is the importance to me? Right. And that's that intention setting, which I think was what we were sort of saying is that we start with these resolutions. Mm -hmm. What maybe what we really need to do is start with these intentions. Yes. Intentions can give you, okay, the why. So I intend to be more organized, but I like for everyone to continue the sentence. Why? I would like to be more organized so I can stay on top of my work and my personal life simultaneously because I am then showing up as the mother I want to be, as the wife I want to be, as the leader I want to be, because I have a lot to offer, whatever. You know, going on that line of more information so that you as the person setting the intention understands why you're you're setting it in the first place. Right, right. I love that. And you know what that's bringing up for me is this practice that actually my husband, who you know, Conwar, he actually does this really interesting practice, which is almost sort of this future visioning. And he will write a story. And this is something he started, you know, doing in the past few years. Of course, I'm talking about him. I didn't ask him if I could, but I'm sure he'll be okay. But, you know, he does this thing where he can write a future vision. And it's it's very much what you're talking about, the intention of, you know, a year from now. What do I intend? Where, where is it that I, I feel that I want to be? And he can write a full story about it and, and, and feel it and see it and taste it and hear it. So he brings all his, you know, his senses into it and it becomes so real. It becomes the why for what he is trying to do. And I think that that's just an interesting, what that was bringing up for me when you were saying, you know, finish this sentence, he kind of takes it to another level. 
but I think it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's really feeling into the why. Yes. Right. Giving it so much detail and starting there. Well, I love the storytelling because it is that feeling that once you can start to feel it, which your brain has that ability, like we have that as human beings is if our focus is on what it is that we actually want and we get detailed about it. And if we write stories like Kanmar does, which is awesome, you will start to feel those shifts. And that's what leads you into lasting change. And so that's incredibly powerful. And, and I think what that does, you know, going back to this neuroadaptation and the dopamine hits, I actually think that when you can feel it like that, your brain doesn't know if it's perceived or if it's actually happening. We talk about this with the idea of chronic perceived stress, right? The idea that our brains are thinking that we are under constant fight, flight, fright mode, you know, running away from the lion 24 hours in the day because of the world that we live in. And so our brain doesn't know, is it real or is it perceived? It just thinks it's the same thing. So it's always putting us into that cortisol overload, right? That adrenaline rush, which, you know, has a whole nother pathway of, you know, screwing things up in our, in our hormonal control. But I feel like it's sort of the same thing on the flip side, that if we can have ourselves feel the intention of where we want to go, of what we want to do, how we want to feel, that's a dopamine hit. Our brain doesn't know, right? And I think that maybe that's the dopamine hits that if you can start using that intention as a way to start calming your brain and using that dopamine hit instead of the next glass of wine, the next candy bar, the next gambling spree, the next shopping spree, the next scrolling spree, whatever it is, maybe that's that's the magic. I think it is. I think it is. And that's where what I mentioned about that mission statement. I mean, it's similar. It's what is the, what is your intent? What is the mission of what you want to feel, who you want to be, what that looks and feels like in practice? I believe that that is that, that hacking of it. And a lot of individuals, you know, it's, we're so embedded in this world and we are very reflective people in, by nature reflection is so key for it because you have to be able to see your patterns and know what are the things that ultimately do knock me off path or don't make me feel good. Um, you know, a lot of people have, you know, they've said, you know, I don't, I don't really notice I eat this, this and that, and I don't notice any, any problems, but from the practitioner side, we can see the whole picture and how it actually does, but they don't feel it yet. So that reflectiveness, I wish everyone that made a resolution really reflected on the patterns from the previous year. Yes. Yes. I I think that that's so important. We were talking about that too, is that it's one thing to, okay, January 1st, you know, it's January 5th today, as we're recording this, it'll be somewhere, you know, around January 24th or so when everyone hears this, but the first of the year just passed a few days ago and everyone's like, okay, I'm going to write these resolutions. I'm going to write these goals. It's a fresh new calendar year. Here I go. Yeah. And we're missing something because it's exactly that. And I always tell people that I work with, it's so important to become aware, to become conscious. Ayurveda is about conscious living. Everything that we do at Beyond is about conscious awareness, about conscious living, right? And 
looking backwards and looking at your patterns, looking at how did you get where you are to then look forward to where you want to go. I think that that is such a key piece of creating new habits. You have to look at where you have come from to really set yourself up to be successful for where you want to go. So I think that's such an important point. So let me ask you this. So when you're coaching people and we're coaching people right now, so what is something we could tell them to do as far as an exercise to maybe reflect and then do this intention? And then we'll move on to the goal setting and the habits and everything. Let's start here first. Well, one thing I want to insert in here, which I've noticed, and this is real time, everyone is very tired. Obviously we're coming out of COVID and it's still here. There's a lot going on and there is a universal lethargy that is seemingly here. And it's a little bit of a heaviness. And I think that's something to call out because it is, it's a different feeling. The beginning, this week is a different feeling of a week. I agree a hundred percent. You know, I, and I, Maybe by next week, there will be a little bit of a shift, but I'm expecting that this is going to be a a longer, um, a bigger mountain to climb to start to get over to the other side. But one of those mountains that can be incredibly transformative, but it's, it's a climb that I believe all of us need to, to make or begin making because it becomes too heavy and it starts to kind of crumble you down. So I would say first and foremost, that's why the Wall Street Journal article hit me this morning is what is it that we need to let go of for a moment or forever? What is it for a second? Because we've been trying and pushing for so long and through our society and where we're at in, in the universe, in the world. And then we can start to see clearer because it's hard to make intentions and to feel and connect to your future self when you are under, under a blanket for lack of a better term. Um, But I do think recognizing that and solely recognizing that and what that means for yourself does have a lot of power. Yeah, thank you for saying that because I think that that is so important is to really acknowledge that and sort of honor yourself. You know, each of us listening and having this conversation is honoring where we have been because, you know, even though last year, you know, everybody thought, okay, we're going into the, the, the post COVID era, whatever that means. I don't, I don't even know that we're in that even now, but it's a new era, but there was so much uncertainty. Me and I was talking with some friends and we were reflecting on the last year and, you know, January at this time last year, we had gone into another social distancing again, because there was so much uncertainty. And I think, like you said, we have been through a lot in the past year in 2022. And so taking a moment to honor yourself for just getting here is pretty incredible. Um, And that can be part of your reflection. But I do think that that's really important. And it is a little heavier. I I find myself this week, I'm not seeing clients this week. I just needed to get myself together to give myself a little space to sort of start the year off a little slowly. And I actually feel like for many people, most of January this year is going to be a little bit like that of just starting the year off a little slowly. And so that was actually one of the calculations I made when I was thinking about when to release this episode was to put it a little later in the month to give everybody that time to adjust, 
to start slowly and then to sort of recalibrate. So thank you for saying that. I think that's really important. Of course. And it could, this is a good opportunity when we start reflections. And if we're going to be slower in our reflections of the last year, how we're feeling now, which is what I'm recommending at this moment, this is where longer, sustainable, transformational lifestyle building can happen rather than this push momentum. I feel so energized and you run out of steam tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So this could be while it's a heavier start to the year, it can also be, a, again, back to opportunity, a huge opportunity for us to reevaluate the whole picture and start to recognize that most of us are feeling similarly. And by that alone can start to bring a lot of power and motivation back into you to then start to feel back to, okay, I can start to think through what it is that I ultimately want now that I am coming out from underneath the cloud a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that idea, like I'm picturing as you're saying this, you know, being at the start of a race and people who are like, just gun it off the start, the, the shotgun versus taking a little bit of a breath and then going and who's going to win the marathon at the end? Probably, you know, who knows? But I think the point is well taken is that just because you take a little bit of a slower start doesn't mean that you're not going to get there as well. So I think that's super important. Let's go through this idea. So what is an exercise or something that, that people could start with as far as reflecting back and then setting the intention for forward for, for this year? So fundamentally, it depends on ultimately if they were to say, this is what I want for my next year. I usually get kind of off the bat what is the first thing that's coming to mind? And then I start to help craft and get through to the, the bigger and deeper meaning there. But one of the things I ask is what is just one of the patterns that you've noticed over the past year for you personally and professionally, um, or depending on who I'm speaking to. Um, that question usually uncovers quite a bit. I also usually ask what is working for you? Um, I think that's really reflective instead of always looking at, okay, where can I poke holes in my life? What's wrong? What do I need more of? It's what do you actually have? What is working? And then maybe what can we do to continue to foster that, which can sometimes and oftentimes in infiltrate to the rest of the things that you wanted to have some support with, you can start supporting yourself in those ways. So what have your patterns been? What are you, um, what has been working? And then ultimately, how do you want to feel? I always connect back to the feeling. It's a hard question for some, but it's one that brings a ton of clarity as to maybe what is needed. Right. And, and, you know, there's so much power in not being able to answer the question too, because that brings an awareness of, wait a second, why do I not know how I want to feel? Why am I disconnected from that? So that begins an inquiry and this, you know, wanting to become more aware of why am I not feeling or why am I pushing down feelings, right? So even not answering a question can answer the question and bring up so much information. So I think these are great things, you know, looking at the patterns. And they can be positive patterns because again, you can always see the flip side of that. Maybe the patterns that are not working or are inhibiting you in some way, or you have this pattern in your personal life, but why is that not translating into your professional life? 
So I think those are really beautiful, reflective questions. And then the other thing I would offer is this idea of writing a story of a future vision of some event or something that sort of encapsulates how you want to feel at the end of the year. So, you know, whether it's your intention is to really take care of your physical health this year, whatever that means, maybe it's you're standing at the top of a mountain that you hiked, um, you know, a 10 mile hike that you did and how proud you feel and what you can smell and see and who you're with. That is an intention that is, I want to take care of my physical body, right? So then we move on from this intention to more of the resolutions, goals, habits. So how do we kind of move into that where we're kind of writing some things down and maybe getting some tangible things that we can be doing? What would you suggest? So you back into it. So if we can take the example of wanting to climb a mountain or, you know, I had one actually of someone wanting to be, well, first the goal started as they wanted to lose 15 pounds. And then it was because they want to fit into a dress. So then we backed in. So how do you want to feel in that dress? They want to feel energetic. They want to feel beautiful. They want to feel clear. How do we feel beautiful, feel clear and feel energetic? So I start going backwards and I do, depending on who I'm working with, some people love analytics, right? They're like, well, I want to be 15% body fat. I want to have this sort of muscle mass. I want to weigh this much. And I do tend to move away from the numerics of it, unless it's very relevant to this scenario, but I back into, okay, what does this look like monthly that contributes to each of those things that you shared in terms of feeling? Um, and for many people, they might be stuck in, I want 15 pounds off. That's what I want. I feel good there. I only feel good with 15 pounds off of me. Fair. Let's talk about, okay. How do you feel with 15 pounds off of you? And then we do the same exercise. So every month, what does that look like that you must do? Backing into the week to the daily to the moment by moment. So I backtrack in to start getting more specific and specific. So if we want to climb the mountain, that means we have a year from today. If we're climbing in a year, what does that mean? Okay, each month I should develop a training plan. In order to train effectively, I should develop a very nice nutritional protocol. I should have a great recovery. Great. We know those things. So how do we sequence these things in? It depends on their lifestyle and we create it that way. So starting at the big and distilling down to the small specifics is what I would offer to the audience here is what is it that you ultimately want? How do you want to feel? And what does this mean on a more regular basis for you? Those are the habits we want to adopt and the mission as to why that's the mindset we want to remember in the moments of trigger, cue, craving, you know, all of those and remembering. And then the story that you offered, when you tell the story of yourself, you then connect emotionally to the story. You can see it and you can feel it. That's an even quicker way to bypass, you know, anything that stands in your way. Right. And get that little dopamine hit from the feeling of that story that's so real rather than from, you know, another candy bar or whatever it is. Right. So that can be, and I'm not saying 
you know, I don't want anybody to think that I think that this is like a cure all. It's so easy. Of course not. But this is just another way of coming at it. And I think that when you understand how your brain is working, the biochemistry, you can then understand why some of these different methods work. Right. And so now we've created all these goals, but let's get, you know, people will say, okay, well, that's great. I can write it all down. I can have this intention. Right. But what are some things that we can do to really shift our brains, right? To shift that biochemistry into this neuroadaptive state where we get these dopamine regulating hits. And you mentioned one before, which was meditation, which I think is so, so powerful. And is there like some kind of a meditation practice that you suggest? Let's talk about that. Again, practical tools for people to use. Yeah, my favorite and most, I would say, universally received well is box breathing because you can do that. It's not necessarily, it's breath work versus more meditation, but I find this easier to um, adapt to and to adopt as a habit. Um, The box breathing, it's in the name. You just have to remember the word box and you can think of the shape. You inhale, you hold, you exhale, you hold, and then you repeat. So it's the inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four, repeat. And that starts to regulate the nervous system so you can commit or recommit, which is what I do want to hit on is I believe that all of this is a decision and it's a constant reminding of yourself that you are deciding to look at this as an opportunity to adapt to the environment you're in to make a conscious choice to be a certain way to hit that goal or feel the way you want to feel. So it's a constant series of recommitting and redeciding what you ultimately want to be. And these moments are every single moment of your day is an opportunity to do it. So breath work is one of those ways to start to use and recommit to. It's also the transforming of the relationship with things that are stressful. So that's where that pattern question comes in, because when you see your patterns, you know now what to look for as your opportunities to actually get a dopamine hit by refraining from indulging those and focusing on the vision. Then you start to get the dopamine hit. And really, I find it... Three weeks, it is what the 21 days to a habit, but three, four weeks of really conscious focusing on things like this, it then it's it's autopilot then because you felt it, you saw the difference, and then you've hijacked the system and it doesn't take as long as I think people think. Right. And so again, what you're doing is this pattern interruption, right? And you are creating some space. You know, this is a, a favorite sort of way of looking at things for me is creating a little bit of space. We live in a world that is so fast that there are hundreds of things coming at us 24 hours a day, whether it's our phones, texting and emails coming in on the computer and noise and this and that. It's like, it's so much to take in. And I think that when we can slow it down just a little bit and give ourselves a moment create that space. Because what we're doing, again, is we're regulating our nervous system. You're creating that space for your nervous system to say, wait a second, I don't have to be in high gear. I don't have to be in this stress response. 
which then means I need to just do, do, do. And to deal with the stress that's coming in, I'm going to go into that trigger, that behavior that I'm actually trying to, you know, reverse or, or, you know, create a new habit. You go to the old habit because it's easier, right? In the stressful moment. So it's this idea of creating space. And I love this box breathing. It's a great practice because it forces you to just stop for a moment and just do a few rounds of that box breathing, right? Um, I've also called it like a mindful pause, you know, closing your eyes, checking in with your breath, just seeing how you feel, you know, doing it for a few minutes, like a few seconds, up to a minute, however long you have, and then opening your eyes and going back to what you were doing with sort of a fresh perspective. That's another way. And I also also suggest is, you know, actually in the beginning, this can be hard to do sometimes, but maybe even creating a schedule, putting an alarm on your phone, you have that stupid thing with you all the time, use it for something that's really helpful, put an alarm as like a mindful pause every four or five hours or every three hours, whatever it is that, you know, you want to do. So you again are creating that space at intervals throughout the day to just regulate your nervous system. I think it's a really powerful practice. So that's, that's one thing. So mindfulness um, you know, meditation and breath. And of course, you know, if you can meditate, start picking up meditation in the morning or the evening, just for a few minutes to get into the habit and then building on that. Again, that starts to help you to regulate your brain. You start, you know, adjusting your brain, your actual neuroplasticity. We know that this all works. So meditation and breath work are a huge practice. Any other things that you, that you suggest as far as calming the brain and shifting? You know, mantras are something I love and some people dislike it, but I think if you create the correct one or an action sentence that reminds you of things that you're working towards or how you want to feel, I think that mantra work is very, very powerful. Um, you know, not to go too deep into it, I can go to a few, but exercise obviously is wonderful. But why one thing with exercise and that I see in the in the world with wellness is then it becomes this, I have to exercise in order to feel or to be okay. And then it becomes for some too much. And then you're not getting enough rest. You're relying on it too much because you do get such an amazing endorphin release from exercise. You can also get the same thing through mindful pauses, through mantra work, or simply standing outside or you know, taking a cold shower, you know, talk about hydrotherapy, cold therapy also does the same thing. It gets things moving. It clears your mind. It helps. So getting really creative with how you take moments in your day, in your week, I think help a lot. Um, the element of play as an adult, something that has no attachment to an outcome. So finding that sort of interruption. I think we can all think back to a time that we were up way too late, knowing that we need our hours of sleep, but we were having a great game night or a wonderful conversation, or we went and saw a play that we usually haven't gone to the theater in 10 years. And you get this complete refreshed feeling from doing it that sort of stuff means a lot and it keeps you on track and it keeps you from getting too into a rigid mindset or a rigid structure of trying to transform your behavior. So I, it, depending on the person, the elements of play, 
movement to a degree, but breath work, mindful pauses, and then transforming relationships with fear, discomfort, stress, things that ultimately scare you and trying them on anyway. Right. I think those are all beautiful. I love the idea of play. And then the other one I would say is connection with other people, because I do think, you know, when you can connect with people who are like-minded, who are supportive of your goals or the habits that you have, you know, that is so important. There are so many studies out there that show that, you know, the five people that you surround yourself the most with, are the people that are going to influence your health and your health outcomes. There, there are studies that have shown that. And so who are the five people who are you're with the most? And what is their attitude towards health and wellness? What is their attitude towards what you want to achieve? If they are negative and not supportive of your goals, that can be really hard. And you know, it's not like you can get rid of those people necessarily, but being aware of that. But I think the connection with other human beings and being around a like-minded community is so important, especially after what we've been through in this world, (laughs) the past few years of feeling disconnected. I think that's hugely important. The door is open right now for vulnerability in a way that has not been seen that I've seen or I've heard has not been seen in a long time. I sent it in the newsletter for our Beyond internal community today, which was share your mission, share what's going on with somebody that you don't normally speak to, connect on that different level because it hits right on that point of that deepening of the human connection. Bring people in with you to all of those practices of your mantra work, of your um physical workouts or your box breathing. You know, a lot of people, if you're in an open office space, grab your buddy, teach them what box breathing is all about, do it together. It opens up that door even more. So yes, deepening connections because it is absolutely dire and give hugs, right? I heard there's like six hugs a day for survival. Yeah. The power of touch, right? I mean, our uh, we are humans are are wired to be with each other. That's why I think this has been such a very difficult time. And I mean, the effects that will come out of this are going to be, you know, seen for years and years and studies will be done. Right. Um, but I do think the connection when you are setting these goals, these intentions, and it's not about like, you know, this whole thing of declaring your goal to, you know, the whole world. And so then you feel, cause that can create a lot of stress and shame and guilt and like, pushing, pushing, pushing. I think it's more about choosing who you share that with and being vulnerable. Like this is hard for me, or I don't know if I can make it. And having those people cheering you on is so important. Again, people want to celebrate you. They want you to reach your goals, you know? And so I think when you share in that way and also share the journey along the way of the ups and downs it again humanizes you. And it's like what you said, there's this door that's been opened for this vulnerability, which I think if we can all start tapping into, it will, it will enrich our lives and our experiences so, so profoundly. So thank you for saying that. I think that it's a really beautiful thing to think about. There's one more thing I want to, you know, bring up. I had made some notes about this idea of treating yourself as sacred. And I know sacred is a word that can bring up a lot of connotations, but, you know, I've been having this discussion with quite a few people and it's really been resonating with me um, because I had some 
at first I was like sacred, you know, that's a, that's a difficult word for a lot of people. But I think this idea of creating the sacredness around your word, your physical body, your space, right? And deciding who you let in, what you let in and what you don't, right? And feeling that proactive sort of responsibility and empowerment to do that. I think that that is something that's so powerful as you're reflecting, as you're sending, you know, setting intentions is how can I create this sense of feeling my sacredness and in what I do and how I am and how I show up in what I say, right? I really love this idea. It's just, it's something that's, that's been on my mind. So I wanted to share that with, with everyone who's listening. I love that thought. I think it's incredibly powerful. I think it's advanced too, because I think it taps a little into self-love, which many, many people have a, a difficulty with grasping. It's easy to care and see other things and people as sacred versus themselves. And I, want, I believe that if everyone could practice this, it would be a transformational thought. I know taking away from this, this is something I'm going to be thinking about for myself. When it comes to ad adopting behaviors that would allow for you to treat yourself as sacred, something that has been brought to my attention over the last year that I never dove into the work of is that inner child work, having children. I see the power of it, but being able to see yourself as a child again and looking through the lens of that, and then being able to ask myself, can I see myself? Can I treat myself as sacred? Can I take care of my space as sacred and honoring the inner child of the essence of who you are at the core? Inner child work is very interesting to explore. I think meditation can help through that mental health you know, works through that coaching works through that, but ultimately being able to get to a place of being able to see yourself as sacred is a incredible, incredible thing that I think anybody can work towards. And if you are able to grasp that, yes, that is something that I think can change and downshift from must do more of into what am I? What do I have? And how can I absorb it more? That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Yeah, thank you. I just have been thinking about it a lot. So I wanted to share that with you and with everyone who's listening. And so we have talked so much about so many different things. And, you know, I so appreciate you sharing so much of your knowledge and wisdom and, and your expertise and your own, you know, experiences, because I do think so many of us who are in health and wellness, we bring so much of ourselves and our own experiences to what we do. It informs so much of how we see the world and then how we see the people that we work with. And so I really, really appreciate you sharing so openly with everybody on this podcast. Um, but this feels like a good place to sort of end our time together. I know we could keep talking for another few hours <laughs> and we'll do it again. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, but I would love to know, you know, when I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? To catalyze healing, I think it comes back to decision. You have to decide. 
you have to decide that you are willing to do what it takes to heal or to progress or to pause. And so I think it comes back to me is decision. To catalyze healing, I must decide. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mar, thank you so much for doing this with me. I loved every part of our conversation. Yes, me too. Avanti, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.